Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. I have a love-hate relationship with roller coasters. I don't know about your experience with roller coasters, but you know, the ones that are really, really tall in that first drop, you know, it goes like this. It's kind of like, yeah, are we going to ride it? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. All right. And so, you know, you make your way, you walk over, and the closer you get to it, the, you know, the, the bigger it looks. And, and, and so you start to get in line, you say, really? Am I really going to do this? And, and you go, you know how this works, right? You're going back and forth through the thing. As you go through the thing, you say, this is crazy. I'm nuts. What in the world am I doing here? You know, and my kids say, oh, Dad, you know, they keep pushing me forward in the line. And, and uh, then you get out and you actually sit down in it. And I don't know about, you're, you know, I'm sitting there like my breathing is just very shallow. <laughs> and, and then they, they put that thing down on you. And then it, and then, you know what I'm talking about, right? And the whole time I'm going up, I'm going, why did I ever do this? I'm going to die. And you finally reach the top and it's like, I'm trying to scream, but there's no breath because there's no gravity. And you hit the bottom and all of a sudden there's gravity and it's like, Whoa, let's go. You get off. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Get in line. What in the world am I thinking? <laughs> Sometimes life's like that. <laughs> um, and in history, in the Bible, in the week leading up to what we're celebrating today, it was very much a huge emotional, mental psychological roller coaster for all the followers of Christ. Because here they had come. They've been, been walking around with Jesus for almost three years, some of them. And they had come to believe that he was the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament had prophesied. He's the one who's going to redeem us. And they didn't always know exactly what that meant, but they, it was going to be good. And, and so they come into Jerusalem a week ago, and as we talked about last week, you know, they're celebrating, they're exciting, the, the king has come, and, and somehow or other he's going to redeem us, has something to do with the Romans, you know, taking rid of their control, and maybe there's something about sin, they, they weren't sure. He, Jesus had told them a lot of stuff that they'd kind of, along the way, hadn't always understood. And they say, yeah, okay, okay, but, you know, they were headed in the Awesome direction, excited. So here it is, a week ago, it's coming to pass. We can really, really see it is happening. And, and, and then Jesus has some more confrontations with the, the religious leaders, you know, over what was really true and what God was really like and what he really expects in our lives. And they got so riled up with him, the religious leaders, that they finally figured out how to falsely accuse him Turn him over to the Roman government and have him crucified. And it happened. Can you imagine being one of his followers? Build up for almost three years, you're following him, and, and he's the one, he's the one. He's going to redeem us, and then all of a sudden, wait, they've got him. They're holding him. Oh, what's he going to do? How's this going to work? They're excited about that, but then they seem he's actually carried out and crucified, and he actually dies. 
I don't know, I just can't even imagine. I mean, it's, it's hard enough in our life when we just know somebody that we love and care about and they die. But what if all your hopes and dreams for life and forever were wrapped up in that person and now they die, they're done? I think they were just devastated. They were in shock. They didn't know what to do. And, and, and the disciples, the 12, the 11 at that point, went into hiding because they thought, wait a minute, maybe we're next. And the women who had been following along with them and helping and, you know, taking care of their needs and, uh, you know, food, whatever, at least they said, they, they kind of said, well, I, we, we got to somehow give him a decent burial. And so they watched to see where he was buried. It says, and then they went, and because it was a Sabbath, they you know, had to go and stay at home, and they began preparing, getting the spices and the garments ready to, so that... W- when the Sabbath was over, they could go and give him a proper burial. And so that's where our story picks up today. So let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Really encourage you to turn there and follow along with this. If you don't have your own Bible today, there's one in the pews there. And we're going to be on page 1218, 1218. Chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. In other places in the Gospels, it tells us they were wondering, how are we going to get in? Because we know that they sealed the tomb with this huge stone. It says here, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, we know the end of the story, right? So sometimes that affects how we read things. But I want you to understand what happened to them. They, you know, had seen him die, and they, they, the women are saying, we at least have to make sure he gets a decent burial. That's the least we can do. And they get there, and the body isn't there. How much worse can it get? So that's where they were at at this point. Now, before we read on, just, I'm going to chase a couple rabbit trails as we go through the story here, okay? It's not really written down notes in my sermon, but I'm going to talk about it briefly anyway. And that's that sometimes when life seems the darkest to you is when God is actually doing the most significant things in your life. You know, it starts that way when we come to Christ and trust him because you really reach the darkest point in time in your life when all of a sudden you finally get it that, wow, I have sinned against a holy God. And because I've sinned against a holy God, I deserve to go to hell forever. Man, that's a dark realization, isn't it? But it's in that very realization that God brings us to the point where we can be saved Right? Sins can be forgiven, we can receive, but we hit that, that dark place. There's all sorts of other things in our lives. In our relationships, we reach these places sometimes where it is so dark and we feel we're so far down and we think it's all over. But the reality is if we, we know the Lord is Savior and, and you know, we're wanting to live for him, that dark, dark time is when he's doing something extremely significant that you and I don't necessarily even see 
The Apostle Paul talked about this in his second letter to the Corinthians when he said, I, look, I, I want you to know what happened to us. He says, we were in such a bad situation down in Asia. He says, we were, you know, we were crushed. We were worn down. He says, we, we gave up on life. He said, but we gave up on life. And the reason we had to get to that place is so that we could learn to trust in God who raises the dead. Those dark places lead us to the significant workings of God in our lives. And we see this what's going on with Jesus here. Because so we know the end of the story, so we know that's true. So let's read on. Verse 4. And, and, as, and it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, they, that behold, two men stood by them in shiny garments. We know that they're angels. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they, the angels, said to them, the women... Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, let me just a little sidetrack here again. Let's ask ourselves that same question in just a little bit different form. Why do we so often look for life in places that only death comes from? You know, every time you choose to sin, every time you choose to set aside God's ways for your own, you're seeking life from places that only bring death. See, it's a lie, isn't it? So the challenge, why do you do that? Don't do that. That's the point. So he says here, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. He he already explained this to you. He told this to you. The son of, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And all of a sudden, it starts to make sense. And one more little sidetrack before we get on to really focusing in on the resurrection with all this means. Do you realize how much more sense life makes when you remember what Jesus says? When you remember what the word of God says? You know, you find yourself in life, you know, where, man, life seems so hard and, and a struggle and the burdens are heavy and the pressures and, and you're stressed and, and maybe you're even into anxiety attacks and, and you're exhausted and worn out. And then... It's because we've forgotten Jesus' words because he said, hey, if you will let me govern your life, and I'm paraphrasing, take my yoke upon you, let me rule your life. Do what I say to do. Live the way I tell you to live in your word. And what you're going to discover is that burden is easy and light. Oh, yeah, I've been going my own way, doing my own thing. I've been hard-headed here, just not paying attention. Foolish, whatever. Well, if I had just remembered what he said, <laughs> I could have made a different choice. And so, you know, it's extremely important that we always do our best to live life remembering what God has said to us. So, back to the resurrection story here. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They go back and say, he wasn't there. The angels came. The angel reminded us that he said he was going to die and that he was going to rise. He must have risen. He must be alive. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. 
and sadly typical, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Right. What do this bunch of women know? They must be, they're crazy. We saw him dead. But at least Peter, but Peter goes to check it out. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. I, and I don't think he fully grasped it yet. But it's kind of like, wow. He did say he was going to die and rise. His body's not here. Wow. Do you ever have, struggle to get your head around something that God does? That's what Peter was doing here. Well, let's, let's jump farther in the story because what happens now is that there's a couple of disciples who are walking and Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him. They have a conversation and eventually they recognize him. They're excited because they've seen him, that he's, he's uh, alive. Let's look in verse 34. So these two were telling everybody, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Actually, that's what the other disciples are saying to them. And they told about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of bread, how they came to realize who he was. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. I mean, how do you feel about these guys? Do you feel that they just don't ever get it? Well, I'd say to you that I, I think that there's a high likelihood I would have been just as scared as they were. I mean, once in a great while, at the home, I'm at the house, and I don't know, you know, I get preoccupied with what I'm doing, and I'm staying in the kitchen or whatever, and, and, and Glenda, I don't see her. She walks in, she stands there, looks at me, and I turn there, she is, and <laughs> Anybody else like that happen to you? Well, here they are. Jesus, he's, you know, we saw he's dead, and all of a sudden, there he is, and he speaks. Peace be to you. <laughs> is this really him? Is it a spirit, ghost? I mean, these guys are terrified. That's the word it uses. They were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. He's showing them the wounds that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So he was, had an actual physical resurrected body here. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel. So it's kind of interesting. They're very happy. And yet, not sure. Happy, but... Not sure. He said to them, it's kind of like, okay, what do I got to do? Have, do you have any food here? <laughs> so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. And why did he do that? Because spirits don't eat food. Okay? People with bodies eat food. He's really resurrected. He is alive. And, you know, that means all the world to us as Christians. The fact that he is alive. Um, and what we want to do just over the next few minutes here is to try to, to come to grips with the significance of this a little bit. We won't be able to obviously come to grips with all the significance of the resurrection today, but just a couple of things. And the first one I want to talk to you about is this. 
the fact that he's risen. And we want to ask a question, is, is he really risen? I mean, we believe this, right? I think most of us here believe it. But I can tell you, when I, when I grew up going to church, before I came to Christ, I went to a church that was Christian. And, and by the time I was a teenager, the conversations that we were having with different adults and maybe youth leaders and youth ministry in the church was that, you know, well, maybe he rose, maybe he didn't. It doesn't really matter. Because there's a spiritual truth here. So we want to say, you know, did, did he rise? How do we know? And does it really, really matter? Well, let's answer that last question first. Because Jesus answered it. Okay? When he was challenged uh, by the religious leaders and they're saying, um, hey, you're saying all these crazy things that seem crazy to us and it goes against the, what we're practicing, what we're doing. And you've got to show us some miraculous sign for us to believe that you're really speaking for God. And Jesus gave them a sign, and in John chapter 2, I think it is, he says, if God gave you authority to do this, excuse me, this is what the religious leaders said, if God gave you the authority to do this, then show us a sign to prove it. Prove it. Have you ever said that to anybody when they made a claim to you? Prove it. Well, that's what they just said to Jesus. And it says, all right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. That's clear. He says other places, things that we know. That's exactly what he meant. And plus the text here tells us that. So Jesus says, here's my sign to you. Here's my proof. You can kill me. This temple that I live in. And three days later, I'm going to rise. Now, that's a pretty big sign if you can pull it off. Don't you agree? I mean, most of the time you're talking to someone, you say, prove, and they go, well, just because. <laughs> and they never said, well, listen, I tell you what, why don't you just kill me three days from now, I'll rise. <laughs> That's a sign. Okay? Now, it also really matters, not just because Jesus said it. In other words, if Jesus did not rise, then all, everything else Jesus said is, is called into question, done, over with, right? Which the apostle Paul got. He understood that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. See, because Jesus wasn't the righteous, holy son of God who died for our sins. He was a fake, if that's who he was. All right, so it does matter. Well, then how do we know? Well, if, if let's just talk about the Gospels very briefly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, these are ancient documents. As Christians, we, you know, we believe that they're part of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. We believe they were inspired by God. But even if you don't believe that, if you're not there yet in your life, the reality is this. All you've got to do is go back and apply the historical test to ancient documents, history, to find out whether these are authentic and whether they can be trusted historically. Okay? And the fact of the matter is, and I'm not going to all statistics today, and I can point you to resources if you're interested, but the fact is that when you consider all the ancient historical documents, the writings of Aristotle, the, uh, the writings of Homer, the Iliad, uh, the historian Herodotus, and, and others, the New Testament, by the way, they don't question whether those things are authentic and historically reliable. 
But when it comes to the New Testament, the New Testament has thousands more copies than they do, much closer to the original times when they were written. By every test ever used to apply to documents, historical documents, to determine whether they are authentic and whether they are reliable historically, the New Testament blows away every other historical document. So if you want to say, no, no, the New Testament, we can't trust it, then you've got to throw away all ancient history. It's all gone. But the fact is, it is very reliable history. The only reason someone would reject it is because they decide, I don't want it to be true. It would be a personal thing. And so, this is reliable history. Now let's look and see, we're reading in the Gospel of Luke, let's look and see what Luke says about how he got his information. All right, so go to the next slide there if you would. Luke says this, he says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Okay, eyewitness reports. How important is an eyewitness report? Extremely important. I mean, you can have someone accused of a crime and have a tremendous amount of circumstantial evidence against them, but it always, you know, there's always a struggle with circumstantial evidence. But you have all that circumstantial evidence and then you add one, two, three very credible eyewitnesses. And you can establish beyond any reasonable doubt that that occurred. Well, this is what Luke says. We have eyewitnesses accounts. Now, who are these eyewitnesses? Well, the first one, Peter. We, uh, uh, we saw him already. And Peter says this. He says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him. The apostle John, same thing. In his first letter, he says, we saw, by the way, he wrote the whole gospel of John too. But he says this in 1 John. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. We have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. And he continues he says, go ahead, next, yep. we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. What were these guys saying? We saw him. We touched him. We were there. It's real. We are eyewitnesses of it. And they weren't the only ones. Mary Magdalene, another eyewitness. Uh, after her, we have the 12, as it was referred to. The disciples later on referred to that way. Uh, Paul says that there were over 500 people that saw him at one time. There's James with an asterisk beside his name. And the reason for that is because this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, that he appeared to him. And then there is uh, Paul who was not there with the 12 when this was happening, but Jesus made appearance to him alive from the dead. And so Luke summarizes what he's saying here when he goes, he talks about the eyewitness reports, and then he says this, go ahead. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so we go back again to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke when he started to tell us about these eyewitness accounts. He says this, he continues. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Eyewitness reports, carefully investigated, so you can be certain of the truth. You can know these things are true. 
Now, we aren't even talking yet about whether Jesus is really the Lord or God or anything. We're just saying, did it, you know, are these documents reliable? And do we really know what happened? And the reality is that we do. We do. Jesus, so we ask the question, is he risen? Is he risen? He absolutely is risen. There is no more question, is he risen? So you go to the next slide if you would there. He is risen. It's settled. And because he is risen, so many things are true for us. Because he's risen, we can also know that we're going to rise someday. Because he is risen alive, he can be alive in us. Because he's risen, as I said earlier in our worship, we can know that he's in heaven interceding on our behalf. So many things that are true because he is risen. And one of those things are true is that Jesus said, here's the sign that you'll know what I'm telling you is true. And that I am who I said I am and what I'm doing is true. All right? That's what, what he said. And he did. He rose. Well, let's consider the next word in our sermon title today. And that is the word Lord. Okay? Lord. He's the risen Lord. Now, when we're talking about the Lord, what we're really doing here and asking the question is, who was Jesus? Who was he? Okay, we, we got all this information about him, but who was Jesus? And, and here's the thing. When you start thinking about who Jesus is, sometimes people, and this is, like I said, once again, the church that I, was a, I grew up in, was a teenager in before I came to Christ, they're saying, well, you know, he, he didn't have to be God. Not necessarily God. He isn't necessarily... You know, the Bible may not be all accurate, but what we know about him, he was a very good teacher. He taught us good things. And I want to say to you today that that is absolutely not an option based on what the Bible says. Was he a good teacher? Yeah, did he teach us and model good things? Yeah, but if he did not rise from the dead and he is not who he said he is, then that's not an option. And here's why. Only really three possibilities of of what Jesus could be. And the first possibility is that he could be a lunatic. A lunatic. Now think about this. Say you're out in public someplace. Maybe you're, let's say that you're at a, a, a mall. You're out there and you're busy and, and you grab some lunch and, and the food court is, is really pretty full. But there's a place where there's four chairs and somebody sit in that corner and you think, well, I can sit on this corner here, right? So you go and say, hey, you mind if I sit down here? And they say, no. And so you sit down and you start to open your food up and you look across at the table and this person's going like this. And you, you find stop and look at him and he says, did you know I'm God? Oh, uh, that's okay. I think I'm going to eat over here. Right? Because what do you think about this guy? He's crazy. To make a claim that you are God, if you're not God, they put people away for stuff like that. Okay. And based on everything that we know about Jesus and his impact in life, I think we can settle pretty quickly that he was not crazy. So that leaves us another option. Maybe he wasn't crazy. Maybe he was conniving. He's a liar. He was lying about all this. You know, he, he made stuff up to make it look like he was who he said he was. First of all, this doesn't work on a number of levels. First of all, all the people who followed him for three years... Well, let me back up just a minute. Have you ever noticed that government can't keep a secret? You know, they have all these, but they can't keep it. It always comes out somewhere, doesn't it? 
So you're going to tell me that these 12 people walked around with him for almost three years, and if he was lying, it never came out. Oh, what about Judas? Well, Judas went and betrayed him, 30 pieces of silver, may have actually been trying to force Jesus' hand, but when he saw what was happening, he was crushed because he knew he had betrayed a good man, not a liar. You see what I'm saying? He knew, even the one who betrayed him knew that he wasn't a liar, that he spoke the truth. Not to mention that Jesus talks about speaking the truth. And and everything that he said was good. If he wasn't speaking the truth, it just doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all, based on everything we have to get. So he's not a liar. That leaves us with one other option. Was he the Lord? That's the only other option. That indeed he is who he said he was. That he was the son of God. He was God in human form. The Lord. The one who gets to call the shots. That's who he was. And and when you're the Lord, you get to say what's right and wrong, don't you? When you're God, you get to do that. And you do it right every time. And you do it for the well-being of those that you're telling. All this kind of stuff. Because he is Lord. And, and we as Christians really ought to make sure that we're living our lives like Jesus is Lord. Can Christians live like Jesus isn't Lord? Yeah, they can. But we ought not to. Well, so here he is. He is the risen Lord. And then the question comes, well, so what does that mean? Right? He's the living Lord. So, what does that mean? Well, let's go back to our text in Luke. So we're on page 1219 now in the Bible that's in the pew there. <clears throat> let's start in verse 44, a continuation of what we were reading. It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, talking about himself as the Messiah, the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. And we'll come back to the rest of it in a little bit. Christ had to suffer. And then the message of repentance and remission of sins is to be preached in his name. Well, so what he's saying is this. Because he's the Lord, there's something that we need to to really understand and let, you know, grab us and, and change us. And he says this, that he had to suffer. Okay, so we're talking about the cross, right? When Jesus died on the cross... He says, Christ has also suffered once and for all for our sins. The just one for the unjust. He suffered for us. He died paying the penalty for every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit. Every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. The sins of the whole world. He died paying the penalty for that. As we're celebrating today, he rose. He is the risen Lord. And here's what he says to you. That if you will acknowledge, truthfully acknowledge in your your heart, your soul, your mind, acknowledge that you have sinned against God. And we all have. We've all gone our own way and done our own thing. Because by the way, God isn't comparing us with anybody else because I'm sure you can find somebody else you're better than. 
but God's comparing us to his holy standards, and we all fall short of his standards. But he says, if you will acknowledge that you have sinned and you will believe that Jesus did die for your sins, that, 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 excuse me, that he is who he said he was. He is the Lord. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. If you will believe that and believe that he rose from the dead, he says, you can receive Christ as Savior. You can repent and turn away from yourself to God. You can turn away from all your own ways of trying to make it right and turn to God and accepting what Jesus did for you and receiving Christ as Savior. And it's interesting to me that the Scripture says in Romans, it shows us this when it says in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So this, if you're going to get saved, you have to get that he is the risen Lord. You have to get that in order to be saved. And then, then the Apostle Paul continues and he says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can finally say, okay, you are the Lord. You are who you say you are in the Bible. You are the Son of God. Uh, you, you did die for me. You are the risen Lord. You really are alive and so, I'm going to call upon you to save me. I, I want that forgiveness that you died on the cross paying for. I want it for me. And so we're calling on his name, calling on who he is and what it all means to be saved. To be saved from the eternal penalty of our sins. And so, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a little bit. Just let that ponder. Let me ask you this right now. The, those of you here, how many of you say, man, I, def- I remember when I did that. I remember when I understood that I was lost and I needed a Savior and I chose to trust Christ as Savior. How many of you remember when you did that? Yes, see, and God changed our lives when we did that, didn't he? Changed our eternal destiny and began changing us from the inside out. All right, but for all of those, all of you who just raised your hands, there's more to it than this, right? He is the risen Lord, so... Let's go back to Luke. Let's start in verse 46 again. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, beginning where you live, and you are witnesses of these things. Because he is the risen Lord and because he has saved us and changed us and bought us, we have a responsibility to do this. He's the risen Lord, so go. Go. Every one of us who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we have a responsibility to go into our world and carry the news that, that God loves people so much he sent his only begotten son so they could be saved forever. And we are talking about people. We're not talking about a, a, a globe hanging in space. We're talking about people, a world made of people. We're talking about people all the way around the world that we'll never see and won't ever know in this life. But really we're talking about your neighbors. We're talking about the person that lives next door to you and across the street. We're talking about your extended family members. We're talking about the people that you work with. We're talking about the people in your community and in our region. 
This is why as a church we're saying that, that we are with, uh, in the greater Worcester area that we are going to do our best to make sure everyone has a genuine opportunity to know Christ. Because the risen Lord told us to do what? What did he tell us to do? Go. We must go. He called us to make disciples, to so go and make disciples. And we need to be willing to lay down our lives. And I don't mean necessarily dying. Lay down our living lives to follow him. So let me ask you, Christians, those of you who have received Christ as Savior, I want to give you a challenge here. This week, I want you to think, and right now I want you to think of them, but can you think of one, two, three people that you know that don't know Jesus? Can you think of somebody? They need to know Jesus, don't they? God has told you to take the message to them. And so here's what I want you to do. You may be scared to death. All I want you to do is this. Those three people, what I want you to do is pray this week. Try to remember to pray every day for them. Say, God, they need to know you. And I don't know how to help bring that out, but I, I want to be part of it. Will you do that? So let's do this. bow our heads here. Let's bow our heads. No one looking around here for just a little bit. So if you've already received Christ as Savior and you, you say, okay, yes, I, I'm thinking of somebody or somebody's who don't know Jesus, and I'm gonna, I, I will commit myself to doing my best to remember to pray for them this week. And it may be that you can't even think of it, for, for whatever reason you're so separated from unsaved people that you don't know who to talk to, then, then ask, pray to God about that. If you're willing to say, yes, I'm gonna pray for these people to be saved and for God to help me to know my part in it, and if I don't know anybody, that God would help me to meet somebody, if Christians, if you say, yes, I will commit myself to this. Right now, with nobody looking, we just raise your hand and say yes. All right, praise the Lord. Now, if you're here today and you haven't ever once and for all received Christ as Savior, as I talked about earlier, who he is, what he did, your sin, you're separated from God, Jesus died for your sins, rose again, and there's never been that time where you once and for all came to God and said, okay, here I am. You know, I've sinned against you. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I, and right now I receive him as Savior. If that hasn't been nailed down for you once and for all, right now I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. And you can call upon the Lord to save you. Pray silently in your heart. God knows what's in there. Just say something like this to God. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know that my sins will send me to hell. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he is who he said he was. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. And right now, as best I know how, I receive Christ as Savior. I trust what he did for me to pay the penalty for my sins. And I accept the gift of eternal life. Now, again, still with everyone's heads bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond 
to a decision you just made. If you just now prayed with me to make that decision that I am trusting Christ now as Savior. From this day forward, you know, I'm, I've made a decision. I'm trusting Christ as Savior. He is my Lord. If that's you today, would nobody looking around but me, I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I just prayed that with you. Yes, I see that hand. Others? Yes, I see those. Any others? Yes, I see that one. Yes, I see that one too. Others? Anyone else? Father, thank you so much for these who have prayed to receive your son as Savior. I ask for your working in their lives. I pray, Lord, that they would um, connect with us and let us know about their decisions so we can help them to grow and understand. And uh, we're so blessed to be a part of what you're doing. I pray as we go from here today that we would not just leave here, but we would go from here on your mission. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.